Well, good morning, Nexters. How's everybody this morning? So if the um, breakfast didn't do it for you, just hang around a little while. There'll be pasta later. <laughs> There's just a lot of good things going on this morning. Amen. On top of all that, we have an awesome, lovely weather day outside. Did it kind of feel like Easter to anybody this morning? It felt When I stepped out this morning, I was like, this kind of feels like Easter to me. Um, what Easter should be, really. Um, th- this morning, you, you obviously have surmised by now that Jason is not here. I'm not Jason. If you don't, I think everybody knows me, but just in case, if you don't, my name is Dave Bunch. Glad to, glad to be with you this morning. Uh, Ju- uh, on a little more serious note, Julia's uncle passed away unexpectedly this week, and Jason and Julia had to travel out of town with their family to be a part of the funeral services, and we want to pray for them this morning. We want to keep them in prayer unexpected kind of you know one of those family storms family trials that comes from nowhere that they're going through today and we want to pray for them if as we go to the lord in prayer is there any other needs in the house that you would just make known by lifting your hand just if there's something you would like for us to pray amen yes yes absolutely well let's pray together starting out this morning And then we'll go to the word of God. Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning. What a great day to be in your house. What a great day to be with your people and to spend some time in your word. I thank you for the opportunity that you've afforded all of us today. Today, we pray especially for the leaders of this group, this class, Jason and Julia. Lord, be with them today, their family. Comfort them. Let the Holy Spirit do what it does best. Wrap them up in your arms. Walk them through this situation, this time, Lord, and let them know that you are ever present and always, always with them. I pray for the needs that were made known today by the lifting of the hand. You know, every heart, every life, every situation, every family do a work, a sovereign work. And we will say this was the hand of the Lord and the work of the Lord in Jesus name. Everybody say amen. 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 You know, every class, every time you go to to minister, to preach, or to speak publicly, it seems like every context is just a little bit different. And what I mean by that is that you would think, you would think that it was all the same. You know, you put together an outline or you put together a word that God has given you and and you'd have it all and that it would all just kind of flow the same. And I found that that's not true. It's hard sometimes if you're in a new context to gauge exactly how long you will you will speak and how much material material you either do or do not have. And if my memory is correct, I don't believe I've ever spoken in this context since next has been over here in the Alexander Center. If I have, I don't remember it, which means there's no way you remember it (laughs) if I if I don't remember it. So um, I think this may be my first time to speak in this context. And so I don't know. I, we, we may be done at 1030 and we may be done at 11. So that gives you a good, you know what? I, I'll tell you this. I don't, I doubt, I doubt, I predict, I doubt that I will finish at exactly 1045. So that gives you a good reason to stay awake today, just to see where I'm going to come in for a landing as far as time goes. Now, my head would like to say and tell you I'd be done at 1030. But my heart tells me that it'll probably not be 1030. The other day, the other night, Mark Wheeler taught in the youth service about Isaac Newton's laws of motion. 
and one of them says that an object that's in motion tends to stay in motion unless moved on by an, uh, by resisting force. Well, that's kind of how my mouth is. Once my mouth goes into motion, it tends to stay in motion until my wife tells me that it's time to bring it to a conclusion. So, so put well, I don't. Wanna, I was going to say put your bets down, but we're not going to do that in church. But just let's watch and see what happens. It, it, I have no idea where, where this will end up. To begin this morning, I do not have a text. I'm not going to read a text this morning. We'll have the text at the end of the message this morning. And so I will start, I will start by just presenting to you my title and my subject and making a few comments. What I want to talk to you about today is this, a long obedience in the same direction. Now, I stole that title from a book by the same title written by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is a brilliant man. He's the one that translated the Bible. It's, it's actually not a translation as much as it is a paraphrase. And he translated the Bible or paraphrased the Bible into the message version. He's a very, very smart man, a, I guess a theologian in that sense. And he wrote this book by the same title, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. But I thought it was okay to still... His title, because he tells you in the introduction to the book that he stole the phrase from, of all people, Friedrich Nietzsche, probably the least religious or God-oriented person that you could imagine. Peterson got the phrase from something that Nietzsche wrote many years ago. And let me, let me share that quote with you. It says this, Friedrich Nietzsche, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction, thereby results and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living, a long obedience in the same direction. There's so much in that statement to me. When I saw the book, I had to, you know, it really piqued my interest and I had to read it. And, and incidentally, incidentally, there's only one chapter that deals with a long obedience in the same direction. The rest of it is more like a devotional on the Psalms. And so I'm not real sure how that even, I, honestly, I'm not quite sure how it all related. I never did really get the point. But the title and that phrase arrested me. It really did. It just, it stopped me in, in my tracks. There, as you meditate on that, as you think about that, there is so much there. It speaks of, it speaks of a time element, long, long time. It speaks of obedience, discipleship. It talks about direction. That's destiny and purpose. There's much there to unpack if you really, really began to meditate on that statement. And I'm going today to touch on, on all three of those elements, but I want to spend the most time, hopefully, Lord willing, if I can get my timing right today, on the perseverance part. There's several statements from the book I'm going to, get, I'm going to just read verbatim to you to help get on the same page or to, to kind of put us in a direction of where this is going that he makes in that opening chapter. And they're, they're all very challenging, okay? So I want to just tell you these are very challenging statements they're meant to push us a little bit. And I say us because I'm not preaching at you or teaching at you. I'm talking to myself as well. This is all of us here in this room today. He says this. He says, one of the most harmful elements in our world or in our culture to Christians 
is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Let that sink in for just a moment. He goes on to say, it is fairly easy to get us interested in the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain our interest. And then perhaps the most indicting of all is the following statement. He says, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. I'm going to say that one more time. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. But there is little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. It's true, isn't it? It's very, very, very true. And so what I find is in my relationship with God and in, and in studying the word of God, there are no quick fixes. There are no quick answers. There are no microwave solutions in the kingdom of God. There's a number of reasons for that. Most likely we could all come up with some ideas about why God does not get in a hurry. But whatever the solution and whatever the reason, whatever we, whatever our attitude and, and posture is towards that idea, it is still true. That God often takes us down a long, slow road of process to affect his work in us. We're all in a hurry. We're all looking for shortcuts. We're all impatient for results. That's our culture. That's what we've come to here in the 21st century. I am as guilty as anybody uh, on that. We, we, we want it now. We want it now. And we, we've been programmed that way thanks to Steve Jobs and the iPhone. We can have it on demand. You see the commercials. You can have everything on demand. Sign up for this service and get it on demand. You know, we used to, used to when we talked about this, we gave examples of driving through the fast food and getting your food quickly. Or we would talk about microwaves, getting your food quickly. But we're way beyond that now, if, if you want to look for examples. We're way beyond um, you know, the, the, just in, in the food sector, like we, we can have everything quickly, easily on demand when we want it. One of the great examples that came, that comes to mind is the way we consume music. I was having this conversation with my kids the other day, how we consume music has changed. And of course they're the iPhone generation. I've often said, I've often said, this is my kids, 10, 11, 12, that age. These are these are the first kids to be raised with an iPhone. They don't know the world before iPhone. Well, what didn't occur to me and Farah brought up a great point is that we're the first generations of parents to have to figure out how to raise kids that have never known anything other than the iPhone. And that's an excellent point, And it's true. And that's a struggle. That's tough. That keeps you on your toes. But the way we consume music, this is fascinating to me. Now, if you saw my Spotify playlist, you would say, this is the playlist of a schizophrenic person who is mentally unstable. I can go, I'm telling you, this is the truth. I can go from bluegrass to Lecrae, back over to some Mozart, to smooth jazz, to southern gospel. 
and in on Toby Mac. I mean, it just all right there. And that's that's just one drive across town right there. You know, I think what it is, I don't I don't really look at music so much as a genre thing. I don't look. I, it's just music to me. I just love music. I always have. I, I just think, you know, a world without music. My goodness. And so I just like music. Very eclectic, I guess. But um, I guess where I probably draw the line is like metal, you know, death metal or something. We don't, you know, we don't really get into that. But beyond that, I mean, the sky's the limit as far as my tastes go. But think about, go back. Most of you in here can remember this. Now, most of us, I think, in this setting can remember, maybe not Matt and Jonathan over there, when you would buy music on a vinyl LP record, right? That's how you consume music. And I remember my mom had a, quite a collection of, of vinyl records, mostly gospel. But I remember as a kid that, that I could take you to the exact place where she put on the record player and I listened to the original Broadway recording of The Sound of Music. Now, we're not talking about, what's her name? Uh, Julie Andrews. We're talking like the original Broadway recording of The Sound of Music. And maybe that's why I like The Sound the sound of music so much is because we listen to the sound of music. I don't know. But anyway, we would get these records out, and it was a production. You put them on the, on the turntable, and, and, you know, you have to flip, flip it over, you know, after the side runs out and all this. And th I guess what I'm trying to say when it comes to music consumption, if, you, if there was a song you liked, you either had to wait for the DJ to play it, heaven forbid that, you know, your destiny be put in somebody else's hands, or you'd have to go down to the record shop and just buy the whole record. I think in some context, uh, hit, hit songs, you could buy just the single. But for the most part, you would just have to buy the, the complete album. And then I remember, this is to me the funniest thing. When you're talking to your kids about this, this is the funniest thing. Then I remember the CD player came out. And how I carried around my CDs, which I'm going to get to in just a minute. That was funny. That was the ultimate in portable music right there, buddy. And it was like a suitcase full of CDs that you carried around. But before I get there, the very first CD player, Steve and I had, we would mow lawns in the summer. Marcus Murphy, too, would help us. We had this little lawn business going, and we saved our money and went in together and bought a CD player. And that thing looked like a VCR. It was about that thick, wide, and so long, and it set up on casters. And I remember the very first CD we bought. And you have to remember, there weren't a lot of CDs available. This was new technology. Plus, we had a praying mom that, you know, guarded over our music selection. And so our very first CD that we ever played on our own CD player was the greatest Western movie things of all time. <laughs> That's what we came up with, with our new purchase, with our new CD purchase, CD player. But I assure you, my taste quickly branched out from there when I got to college. And somebody introduced me to Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> all right, where was I? I had that little CD Walkman, they call it. We had, I worked with a guy from India. He couldn't remember that they were called Walkmans. He called them CD mans. And so I had my little CD man in my truck with that tape adapter that adapted it into the, to the sound system. And I literally had this suitcase that I carried around with my CDs in it. And I thought that was portable, folks. That was portable. That was music portability at its finest. And then, of course, iTunes came and changed it all. And you could buy music on demand. You could buy just one song. You could buy... A whole album, you could make your own playlist, do all these things. But now, to me, it's even better than that with Spotify and these other streaming services. And for a small fee per month, you can pull up any song in the world 
right now. Last night, I don't know, just random, random thoughts. Last night as I was going to bed, let me tell you, I thought about a song called Breakfast in Hell by the Newsboys. Has everybody, anybody ever heard Breakfast in Hell? It's not, it's not like it sounds, all right? Newsboys is a Christian group. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> breakfast in Hell, they were, they were telling you that they don't serve breakfast in hell, so you don't want to go there. That's the point. But that is a real random song, like out of the blue, nowhere, but I could, Nathan could pull it up right now and play it off of Spotify if we wanted to, because we can have it right now. We can have it right now. Anytime we want, as quickly as we want, any song in the world. On the way to school the other day, Elena and I were listening to music from France. I kid you not, it was in French, and we had no idea what they were saying. But from the other side of the world, you can, you can pull it up and have it now. I work with a laptop. If I have an internet connection, I can work from anywhere in the world and do what I need to do with my laptop, with my job, because we're that connected, we're that instant, I can check my email right now. You can too. I'm, I'm just saying we can check our email right now. We can do whatever, check our bank account. It's all right now. But this is the thing. This is the thing. God does not work that way. And this is where I'm going with this. I'm going to show you some examples. God doesn't work that way. There is nothing in the word of God to suggest that God shortcuts process in our lives. Think about this scripture. The Bible says when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. God did not even shortcut the redemption process. He said when the fullness of time had come, when the right time came, when enough time had elapsed, when the plan was ready to be fulfilled, then he brought redemption. If God didn't shortcut redemption, the greatest and noblest plan of all, the best thing that could ever happen in our world, the greatest God thing there ever is. What makes us think he's going to shortcut his work in our life? He's not going to do it. And so he's not going to fast track the work that he wants to do in our lives. And so here's where I want to apply this. All of us in here today fall into some of these categories. Either God has given you a promise in your life. Or else there's some answers you're seeking God for, answers to prayer. Or else you're in some sort of storm that has blown you. You feel like you're 180 degrees off course from what God, de what the destiny God has put in your life. And those are the moments where it's real easy to get discouraged. Those are the moments where a long obedience in the same direction seems impossible. It seems like it's good, like it's doing no good and that there is no use in it. But I want to tell you today. That just because you don't see God working right now does not mean that he's not working. Just because you find yourself in a storm right now does not mean that God is not pushing you and moving you in the direction that he has for you. And so uh, that, is a, that is a key concept. It's a key premise in the word of God. We have to understand that just because we're in the 21st century and we're all modernized and all instant and all downloadable, that just because we are doesn't mean that that's how God is. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And the way he works in our lives has not changed. He said, I am with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But it's your job to trust and to have that long obedience in the same direction. Now, I remember uh, just or, or to tell you a little bit about the time component of this, how, how it takes discipline. It takes obedience. It takes moving in the same direction. And if I if I told you I wasn't bragging a little bit, I'd be I wouldn't be telling the truth. 
but I've run two half marathons now uh, with St. Jude, one in 2016, one in 2017. But let me tell you how that happened. Let me tell you how I got there. I did not get up off the couch after eating a bag of popcorn and drinking a Coke and go out and run a half marathon. It didn't work that way. I decided uh, back in 2015, one day, just decided to be, a, I said, you know what, I'm going to become a runner. I'm going to run. And so I be, it was hard at first, but I got up to that three-mile mark. That's where I got. And I became the master of like three, four, five miles. I could do that. But after a while, that really wasn't challenging me anymore. And so I got to the place where I was like, you know what, I want to run further distances. I want to do more. And so fast forwarding, uh, after our involvement with St. Jude and all, I found out about the St. Jude Marathon weekend. And I decided I wanted to run the half marathon, 13.1 miles. And so I began to train for that. Now, listen, I had to run. There were days I ran in the rain. There were days I ran in the cold. There were days I ran in the heat. But I got a training program, and I stayed with it, and I set my goal, and I kept going. It was a long obedience in the same direction. And so it felt really good when I crossed the finish line that first time. It felt good the second time, but especially that first one, knowing I had accomplished my goal because it didn't happen overnight. It took a long obedience in the same direction. It took getting up on Monday and running my three miles, and it took up getting, getting up on Wednesday and running my five, and then on Saturday doing the long run of eight, nine, and ten, and, and repeating and repeating and conditioning and training and going forward. And after a while, what happens is, is you look back and six months have gone by and eight months have gone by and a year has gone by and all of a sudden you're, you're at goal. All of a sudden you're crossing the finish line. But there's a, time, there's a time component to it. There's a long obedience in the same direction. Has anybody ever heard where the Bible says, by faith Abraham staggered not at the promises of God? Abraham staggered not. And the Bible says God counted it as righteousness. God promised Abraham and Sarah they would have a child. And it didn't happen for decades, decades. But Abraham staggered not. He did not count God slack concerning his promises. He believed that what God said he would do would come true. And so that's the time component. That's the long process that we have to go through to get where it is that God has said he will take us. There's also an obedience component, and I call that discipleship, discipleship. As another product of our culture, besides the, the instant part of our culture, we live to see the day now where everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. We want freedom to be me. I want freedom to be me. You want freedom to be you. I just want to be me. As Brother Borlick said, Chef Jeff, I'll do it my way. Been taught that the other day with Frank Sinatra. I'll do it my way. And that line of thinking is in direct contrast with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught discipleship. He taught denying self. He taught take up your cross and follow me. And so discipleship then is at 90 degrees with the messages that our culture and our society sends to us, even subliminally. And sometimes we can pick those up and carry them around and we don't even realize it. You know, there's so much, there's all that Disney stuff. They tell kids to follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your dreams. They'll come true. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The worst thing you could do is follow your heart. Follow Jesus. 
but it's subliminal. It sounds good. It sounds positive. It sounds, it sounds self-actualizing. It sounds like a good thing to attain to, but we've got to be wise. We've got to be able to put it through the grid of the Word of God and understand that these, not every message we hear from the world and from the culture is in alignment with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so he taught us to be disciples. And discipleship fundamentally is obedience, in my opinion. It's obedience to the cross. It's obedience to saying, I will take up my cross and I will follow Jesus. The, the, of the several different words that are translated as disciple in the New Testament, probably the most common, the one we would think of as in Jesus' disciples, etc., is, is, is a Greek word, and it's something like uh, uh, mathetes, I believe is how you say it, something along that line, mathetes. And what it means is literally is a pupil or a learner or an apprentice. A disciple is a person who spends their life apprentice to the master, Jesus Christ, in a growing learning relationship. A disciple is a learner, not in the academic setting of a schoolroom, but rather in the work site, at the work site of a craftsman. We do not acquire information from God, but rather skills in faith. And so it's obedience to discipleship. It's saying, God, I'm willing to enroll in the school of God's processes. And I'm willing to learn some things along the way. And just like regular school, you don't learn it all in one day. You don't learn it all in one week or one semester or one academic year. You go year after year after year after year of apprenticeship, of tutelage, of studying, of being a disciple. And then you look back one day and you say, look how far I've come. Look what God has done in my life. So it's long time. It's not, not instant. It's obedience, discipleship, and it's in the same direction. That just means staying oriented on the same path. It says, I will stay focused on where I'm going. If God's given you a promise, if he's given you a destiny, if he's given you um, an, uh, uh, that he said he's going to answer a prayer, if, 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 you, if you feel like God's hand is on your life, but it hasn't been fulfilled yet, stay focused on that no matter what your current reality is. May be. Paul said this one thing I do, one thing I do, one singular thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. There's a very powerful statement by the author, novelist William Faulkner. It gave me goosebumps when I read it. And if it doesn't give you goosebumps, well, then maybe something will happen in the 11 o'clock service that will give you goosebumps. Faulkner says, there are no monuments but footprints. A monument only says, at least I got this far, while a footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. Oh, my goodness. That absolutely blew me away. In a few moments, Lord willing, I'm going to share a little bit of our testimony and I'm going to tell you, I refuse to build a monument to where I've been. I may look back and see some footprints and say, oh, yeah, that's where we were when we squared our shoulders and lifted our head up and said, we're going to move on from this place. But I'm not going to build a monument. I'm not going to stay where I've always been. I'm determined to continue to move in the direction of my 
destiny. See, we get hung up on where we've been. We get hung up on the past. That's the problem. It's, we keep looking back over our shoulder at where we were, where we've been, what we've been through, what has happened to us, the storm we were in, and it bogs us down. It, it, it affects our direction, and before long, it's like a ship out in the ocean that just kind of goes in circles like this, and we're not oriented on track. We're not oriented on our destination. When God is saying, don't build monuments, look back. It's fine to look back and see footprints, but a long obedience in the same direction to see where we've been, but also to see where we're going and to see what God promised he will do in, his, in our lives. And I'm going to show you this in just a minute in the scripture. Now, where I want to apply this the most, I've, I've hit on it a little bit. I've alluded to it, hopefully in the masterful oratory that I have given today, it has slowly illuminated your understanding as one would peel the peeling off of a fruit and slowly present it to you in all of its luscious goodness. But I've alluded to it a couple of times, and where I want to go with this most is that where we struggle, I believe, with a long obedience in the same direction, the most is when we're in the middle of a storm. It's all good. It's all good to come in here on Sunday morning and say, man, this is what the Bible says. This is how God works. He doesn't get in a hurry. Process takes time. God's not a God of the microwave. He's the God of the crock pot, you know, slow cooker. All this is okay to say in this classroom, in the laboratory. It's okay to get up and hear a preacher preach on it in service and we shout or Go to the altar and bend a knee and shed a tear. That's all good. But what happens is, is then we get out into real life. And then we find ourselves confronted with a storm. And then it gets a little bit more difficult to live. We get disoriented. And that's the problem with the long obedience in the same direction. We get disoriented. And we're like, well, God, if you promised me this, then why is this happening in my life? If you made a, you know, if, if I have a destiny, then then how come my life is 180 degrees opposite of anything you've ever told me in my life that was going to happen? And we give up, or at the very least we question, we look for reasons why, we misunderstand, we get mad at God, we get mad at people. I'm just being real, this, this is what happens, this is, this is where we are as human beings. It's just the human condition, it's not, it's not sin, it's not wrong, I'm not calling you out, I'm not calling myself out, it's just who we are as human beings, it's our default mechanism. But God says, if you'll stay faithful and obedient to the long game and in the same direction in the storm, I'll reveal myself to you and I'll show you some things. So now I want to get to the text. I have 15 minutes, not too bad, all things considered. And I want to get to the text and make a few comments and see if we can bring this in for a landing. Let's go to Acts chapter 27. Let's set this over here. Acts chapter 27, and we're going to study a little bit about the Apostle Paul. He finds himself here in our text. We're going to start at verse 20, and he finds himself here in the middle of a storm. Now, the events that led up, just to give you a little context, Paul had testified a few chapters earlier to King Agrippa. Agrippa was the one that said, I'm almost persuaded. All good Christians have heard that term probably. Almost, I am persuaded. I think they wrote a hymn about it one time. Agrippa's the one that said that when Paul testified to him. Agrippa conferred with, with his inner circle and said, you know what we're going to do with you, Paul? 
And by the way, Paul was taken prisoner for preaching the gospel, so he was a prisoner at this point. Preached to Agrippa. Agrippa's almost persuaded. He talks to his inner circle and says, you know what we're going to do with you, Paul? We're going to ship you over to Rome, and, and you're going to stand before Caesar. And Paul is a prisoner, not, seemingly not in control of his own destiny, and he's got to go on a very long ship voyage to Rome. And, and I looked it up. You know, every Bible has in the back Paul's missionary journey map. You should almost, I thought about putting it on the screen, but just didn't have time to, to get it scanned in or, or whatever, get the media people to do that for me. But you should look at it in your Bible. It's a long way by ship, okay? Not by airplane, but by ship that Paul had to go. And so he's got to go a long way. And because of the time of year that it was with the storms in the sea and all these things, Paul tells the crew that they shouldn't go right now. He says, this is not a good time to go, but they do it anyway. They go anyway. They don't listen to him. And so that picks up our story in verse 20. And neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. So they're in the middle of this storm. The ship is on the verge of going down. And it's not one of these quick storms that just come into our life and blow right by. This is a major storm so much that they gave up hope that anything would ever change, that anything could ever be different. God, I'm in this storm. It's always been this way, and it always will be this way. I, I can't see any kind of way out. There is no answer to my situation. But then look at 21. After a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. So Paul, as spiritual as he is, says, see, I told you so. And then look at 22. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss in any man's life among you, but we will lose the ship. The ship's going down, but we're not going to lose what's most important. We're not going to lose our life. And look at how he knows this. This is where I really want you, this is the takeaway probably of, of everything I've said. Watch this. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given, them, uh, have, hath given thee all them that sell with thee. He says, For there stood be, by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. In other words, I didn't just start out serving God today. I've got a long obedience with God. This is a long-term commitment for me. This is the long obedience. And then he says, and then, and then the angel appears to him and says, you're going to preach the gospel to Caesar in Rome. So in other words, you can't go down in this fight because I've got another fight waiting on you up ahead. You can't, this storm can't be the one to take you out because I have a further destiny for you in your life. And so Paul has this revelation, and that's the thing. When we get in the storm, we immediately start looking for reasons why. And I'm going to touch on this in just a second, but God very seldom ever gives us the reason why. But in the storm, what he will give you is revelation. He won't always give you the reason 
but he will give you revelation. And that's what he did here for Paul. He said, Paul, you don't understand necessarily why you're in the storm. You don't understand why the ship has to wreck. You don't understand why you're about to show up on an unfamiliar island called Malta. But what I am going to do is reveal myself to you by sending an angel of the Lord to stand by you. And I'm going to reveal a little bit more to you about your destiny about where you're going, about who you are and what I want you to do in my or what I want to do in your life. So God brought revelation in that moment. And so it happened exactly like Paul said, they were shipwrecked. It um they were no loss of life, but the ship went down and they landed on this island called Malta. The Bible says in uh, Acts 28, verse 1, the Bible refers to it as Melita, which is the, the kind of old, old world name, but the island now would be called Malta, and I just like that. You can say that a little bit better, so I'm going to say Malta. And so they're shipwrecked. They swim to shore, and when they were escaped, that is, escaped from the ship, they knew that the island was called Malta. And the barbarous people, which barbarous here is just a term meaning Gentiles, not or, or, they didn't speak the same language. A foreign people would probably be the best way. We would say foreigners. When the foreigners showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. So Malta then is that unexpected place. Paul never intended to go to Malta. So think about this. Paul's a prisoner in chains. He is, for something he didn't do, nothing illegal. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. He's being shipped to a place called Rome on a voyage that he never wanted to take. He told them not to go, and they did anyway. He had no choice in the matter. So he's a prisoner. He's on a ship that he had no intentions of being on. He's shipwrecked in a storm, and now he washes up in a place that's unfamiliar and unexpected and unplanned. This is not where he tended to be, intended to be. Malta is that place in your life where you never intended to be. A storm in your life, it might be because of somebody else's bad decision. It's a storm in your life that, you know, you look and you say, this, other people's kids have this problem, not, my, not mine. Other families go through this, not me. Other, other Christians struggle in this area, but not me. It's that place you never, you wake up one day and you never thought you would be. That's where Paul is now. In this storm. But the beauty of it is. Is that Paul. Never lost his revelation. He never lost. The sense that I. Am in the hands of God. On the right direction. Headed towards my destiny. And that God is going to do in my life. What he promised to do. God said I have to stand. Before Caesar in Rome. And it really doesn't matter whether the ship goes down. It really doesn't matter whether I'm in an unfamiliar and unexpected place called Malta. God said, I've got a job to do. God said, there's something to be fulfilled in my life. And it's going to happen. And I see that assurance in Paul in this story. I see that he's not worried about the future. Or, or he's not worried about the present because he knows his future. And he's confident in the God that promised him. And so after all of this trying to bring this in. After all of this, Paul's on the island helping him build a fire. And hopefully you know the story, but a snake, a viper comes out of the fire and bites him on the hand. And Paul does like Taylor Swift and shakes it off. And they think that he is a god 
And through all of that, through all of that, through all of that, long story short, I'm having to, to hurry. God uses Paul to pray for what is essentially the president of the island, father-in-law, who could not be healed, no hope for recovery. Paul lays hands on him, and he recovers, and then the word gets out, and the entire island comes to Paul, and the Bible says the entire island was healed by God through the hands of Paul. The, think about this. The hand that was bitten by the viper was the same hand that God used to let healing power flow and be used in that island to heal those people. In other words, if we stay oriented to a long obedience in the same direction, God will take your storm. He will take your unfamiliar place. He will take your viper bite, and he will use it for his glory, for your revelation, and for his kingdom. Now, our story, very quickly, most of you know it. Most of you know it, but the other night, Friday night, I met a couple of new people we not talked to before, and they were asking us about Dawson and the, the diagnosis. Everybody always asks, how did, how, did it, how did you know he had leukemia? And what they're really asking is, I want to know the signs so I can watch for them in my kids. That's, uh, if we're being honest, that's what it is. That's okay. And so I told the story again, and it, it, it's always so fresh, and it's always just, just so poignant. And, um, and you talk about you take your son in to, for dehydration for a stomach virus, and within two hours of being in the ICU, you've got a cancer diagnosis. We didn't know what kind, but we knew it was some form of cancer. In two hours, your world changes forever on a dime, and, and it's a storm. It's a storm. And then, and then, just like many of you, six months later, we go through the flood and lose everything, like our house, all of our earthly possessions, everything. We, we had some suitcases, and that was about it from, that we had packed when we, when we were running from the flood. And long, long story short, we find ourselves in Memphis, which it starts with an M, so it's kind of like Malta. It's an unfamiliar place. It's a place we never thought we would be. It's a place where er other kids deal with leukemia. Other families have kids with serious di uh, diseases. Other people lose everything in floods, not us. This, this does not happen to us. This is a storm. It's an unfamiliar place. It's a place we never thought we would be. And I will tell you, because I'm a human being, especially during those times in Memphis, we asked why. It's okay to ask why. Some of the greatest men in the Bible asked why. Job asked why. David asked why. Jesus Christ asked why. Some of his last words were, my God, my God, why? But here's the thing, as I mentioned with Paul. I, I, I'm racking my brain. I cannot think of a, of a time ever that God has ever answered the question why in Scripture. Maybe it's there. If you find it, let me know. He, he hardly ever answers why. He hardly ever gives you the reason, but he will give you revelation. And what we've come to learn now, two years on the other side of it, still a, a few miles to go. But what we've come to learn is that the same hand that was bitten by the viper is the same hand that God is using to do some things and put us in places that we never thought we would be. We had the opportunity a couple months ago to speak to 2,500 people to tell our story. And I've gotten to the place now, God, you know, they're putting us on the stage to talk about St. Jude. And so I'll do that. There's no question about it. That's why we're there. 
but I don't shy away from the God component. I, I've, I've learned that God has put us in those positions to testify to the miraculous hand of God, what God has done for us. And so we tell it. And so God has put us in some places and on some, some situations and in front of some people that we would have never, ever had the opportunity to impact and to affect because of what we've gone through. And now there's just a very, very small, it's like a door opening, just a very small crack. We're starting to see just a little bit about what the future of, our, of what God has for us to do, our assignment that God has for us, and how what we've been through the last two years has prepared us to walk through the door when God opens it all the way. It would have never happened if we hadn't gone to Malta. It would have never happened if we hadn't bitten by, been bit by the viper. But it takes perspective. And where it's okay to ask why, you have to come back to the long obedience in the same direction. You have to stay true to the promise of God in your life. You have to stay faithful to what God said he's going to do. God is not slack concerning his promises. If God is for you, nothing shall be against you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. These are revelatory promises from the word of God and what he said he would do, he will do. And it is 1045. Wow. I never saw it coming. If you had been a betting man or a betting woman, you might would have won some money. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for letting me be with you this morning. I pray that the word of God ministered to you today. Can we just pray on our way out one more time? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. Thank you for perspective. God, I pray that we would leave out of here today. We're in the laboratory today, Lord, but tomorrow we have to walk out into that real world. Let us take something that was said today into our life and apply it, live it, and see what you want. In Jesus' name, amen.